Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Happy Doctor Who Day. Yeah, happy Doctor Who Day. This is, um, uh, what do we call this? Um, waiting for the Doctor Who truck to come <laughs> by. So we'll watch some old Doctor Who instead episode of Lazy Doctor Who. Yeah, it's a, it's, we're killing time till new Who. Yeah, so we're, we're staying offline right now. As, as we record this, people in the UK are probably just finishing up watching uh, Rosa uh, from series 11 we just watched episode one of fury from the deep not the fury from the deep but fury from the deep the only Troughton story not to begin with the letter the the letter the the word the <laughs> oh it's so confusing i have so much trouble with the the uh, definite articles versus no definite articles versus mm. are there some with indefinite articles are, are there ones that start with uh maybe not but anyway Man. It's oh see it's so confusing. Yeah. There's there's so many differences. So thanks for thanks for confusing me. But I suppose statistically speaking, if you're talking about a Patrick Troughton story, just put the in front of it. You're only going to be wrong one time out of how many? Mm-hmm. It's like a broken <laughs> clock in a way. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it started up and I saw the title and I was like, ah, no the. That was my first my first observation <laughs> about this story. Because every time you you post. Uh, an episode of Lazy Doctor Who, and you and not not all the time, but sometimes you ask me, is it the Tomb of the Cybermen or the Web of Fear? It says, yep, there's only one that doesn't have it, and so I wondered if you remembered or noticed when it came up. This is it's like a splinter in my mind. It just yeah. it, like the one that doesn't match. It's the exception that proves the rule. And honestly, like I think it would work as the Fury from the Deep. Absolutely, which is why I thought that's I genuinely thought that's what it was. I'm I was surprised to not see it because I feel like I've heard people say the, whereas quite often I've heard people say um, names of any other Doctor Who title. Quite often we leave off the the, the mm-hmm. just for you know fewer characters on Twitter or to make it easier to say but I can't believe we've already talked for like two minutes just about the definite article or lack thereof on this story. Maybe it's the iconoclastic Victor Pemberton who was behind that. He wrote this story. His only Doctor Who story that he wrote. He was script editor for The Tomb of the Cybermen (laughs) where they they tried him out. Did we talk about this? About how... How he wrote the little scene between the Doctor and Victoria. He did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was script editor because they they said, "Hey, let's we're you know, Ennis Lloyd is leaving as producer, and Jerry Davis is leaving as script editor. So let's give this a shot with Peter Bryant as producer and Victor Pemberton. Maybe you want to see if you want to be script editor." And he enjoyed the experience, but he says, "Ah, I don't want to be script editor," and so he moved on but wrote this um, story. And then, just to further along the iconoclastic nature, years later. Target novelizations are usually restricted to like 144 pages or around about there for whatever story. The War Games, 10 episodes is 144 pages. Um, Sontaran Experiment, 144 pages. It's two episodes. Uh, But Victor Pemberton turned in his novelization for this story and it was like 168 or 170 pages. And the editor said... I can't cut any of this. It's brilliant. So we're publishing it as a slightly longer thing. It even says a brilliant story now, a bumper length Doctor Who novelization on the cover of it. Wow. Yep. That doesn't surprise me because I love this first episode. This is so exciting. Oh, do tell. <laughs> I just, um, yeah, it's a reconstruction, so we can't see everything that's happening. So there's some stuff that's kind of left to the imagination. But I just one of the things that I'm I'm finding with um, Patrick Troughton and his his crew is that quite often when or at least sometimes when they show up, 
they have like how can I put this? My first thought was just it's like they appear in this very built out world. There's a lot of moving parts. It's like they just sort of drop in and the action is not happening to them. It's happening around them mm. and and they're just showing up and sort of watching it happen. Whereas I feel like a lot of the William Hartnell stories, the they were sort of more focused on the actions in the first episode of the doctor and his companions. Like what is happening to them? What are they doing to move the plot forward? And in in a lot of these stories, they're they're not like this kind of reminded me of the feeling I got in the first episode of the Macro Terror where like they show up and don't like here's this world that they right. have appeared in we don't really understand how it works yet we don't quite know what's going on but it's very clear that there is a society that has its own rules and tenets and like all of this stuff is happening and I felt the same way here like here here they they show up and you know there's there's the nice mystery on the beach of the uh of the pipe and what's it for and what's it doing and then they get zapped and brought into this place where you know there's there's somebody in charge there's there's a location here there's a location someplace else out on the rig there is another um, nearby location where the woman was trying to come from and she can't Maggie Maggie yeah so and she can't get through so there's very you know you know strict societal rules it seems like victor pemberton did a good job of of building this out i feel like they just landed in a story that was already happening and we are now along with the doctor and jamie and victoria trying to figure out what is happening around them and of course it's exciting that the doctor knows a little bit or suspects maybe a little bit more about what's really going on than the characters there so you get that exciting frisson of of feeling like yeah the doctor's our hero he's Mm -hmm. he knows he knows what's happening or at least suspects a little bit more than anybody else does and it just yeah i felt like i was i was really pulled into the story right away because i want to know what's happening and a lot of the scenes that i was enjoying quite a bit were even the ones that were happening without the doctor or his companions yeah Mm -hmm. interesting yeah when whenever the uh, you know often in these types of stories where as you say there's action already happening you're sort of reliant on the guest cast and characters Mm -hmm. to sort of tell the story because it's already happening um and therefore you know then the doctor's the one sort of skulking around outside of it so we have to depend on these these guest characters and actors to sort of outlay the plot and, and the thing while in other stories the doctor basically discovers it along with us you know and i feel like here too i i didn't have the feeling of the um exposition dump like i didn't feel like somebody was you know telling us the plot we were getting little bits of it here and there some of it was i mean some of it was being literally explained to the doctor um who's the guy in like the white coat the nice scientist that it, Harris, yeah, the, the uh, husband of Maggie Harris, yeah, yep. Um, so Harris, he, you know, that he's very nice and he is friendly, and I, like there was a little bit of me that was like, wow, he's really just explaining stuff to the, the about what the, what's going on there right. to the the doctor. These people that have just been tranquilized and arrested, and he's about to lock them up. But he's just that. I don't mind because he doesn't seem like he's a security kind of focused guy. Mm. He's a scientist. And, you know, the best scientists who achieve the the most share, you know, with other scientists. And that's how that's how science moves forward. You know, um, 
in under the best circumstances. So yeah, right. so sure he's uh, he's he's explaining what's going on. He, I, he it strikes me that he feels kind of bad that uh, that they were all zapped and tranquilized and stuff. So maybe this is his way of making up for it is uh, explaining explaining some some stuff about where they landed here. Um, speaking of where they landed, um, we have to talk about the TARDIS landing on the water and them coming in on a boat, like a little dinghy. They have dinghies, inflatable dinghies in the TARDIS, apparently. Well, why not? Of course. Yep. Yep. I mean, the doctor's carrying a stethoscope. Why not have an inflatable dinghy? That's true. <laughs> and the sonic screwdriver. Makes its first appearance. Oh my gosh, that was so exciting. I flapped my hands with joy. It was you, amazing. You did. Did you know it was coming in this episode? You know what? Now that I think about it, I guess I remember, you know, some trivia questions. When did the Sonic Screwdriver first appear in Fury from the Deep? Right. <laughs> um, but I did not remember that when we started watching this. So it was when when they got up to the control box and we can't really see what's happening. So there's just the, the recon that we're watching had a little strip of text at the bottom that rolled in and said the doctor can't get the um, the control box to open. And I was like, oh, it's too bad he doesn't have a sonic screwdriver because then he could just pop that thing right open. And then the doctor says, oh, I think I'll need to use this. And I was like, oh, could it be? And then it was. Yep. It was a little pen light. I think the pen light itself was actually... I don't know where the where the prop was supplied by, but the idea was supplied by a production assistant by the name of Michael Bryant, who would, of course, go on to be Michael E. Bryant and direct several stories of Doctor Who, who, because in the script it was just a screwdriver. Mm-hmm. And Michael E. Bryant said, what if we made it like a sonic screwdriver and they could do a little thing? And so and so it was a, it was an on-the-spot on the adjustment. Um, Michael E. Bryant told me this story. He says he's never received any like royalty payments for coming up with the idea of Sonic <laughs> Screwdriver because now it's, I mean, every child and, and adult in, <laughs> in the world has one or many Sonic Screwdrivers as part of their collection. And it all started there as sort of a whim on location. Wow. I wouldn't say all children and adults, but mm-hmm. but plenty of them. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Good job, Michael Bryant. That's uh that's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was neat. And um you know, spoiler alert that we see the opening scene. I love that the opening scene of Fury from the Deep only exists because it was used again in the War Games mm-hmm. uh in a year or so and that's why we saw the moving but there are, there are some censor clips uh that exist for this story just so you know letting you know now before so when you don't get like oh well god there's moving footage or something like that and then there's there's some interesting moving footage in episode six that i'll explain when we when we get to it but um but so it's not 100 percent um uh like non-moving footage but it is in fact the last fully missing story that we we have to watch in in our long trek through doctor who yeah, I did recognize the TARDIS landing at the beginning there from because I've I've seen it in the War Games because I've mm-hmm. seen the War Games because I've seen that before. Um, but yeah, thank thank goodness for Australia and its prudishness. For I'm assuming that's where the censor clips came from. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's that's the irony, isn't it? That they were required to keep the censor clips to show that they cut them. Um, but were ordered by the BBC to destroy the episodes from whence they came. So. That's why we have two or three seconds of people getting stabbed or screaming or or being scared and giant crabs and stuff, but nothing else. Speaking of screaming, that was one place where the reconstruction sort of fell down because I don't really have a great understanding of what was happening during the cliffhanger at the end of it. Like I know that there's foam coming into this uh, this oxygen storage room that Victoria mm-hmm. is trapped in. Um, 
and but the thing is the reconstruction then you know she screams and the doctor and jamie hear it i guess yeah uh must not be a very big facility or something and uh so then they like i guess are rushing back to go try to help her i don't know how far they get i don't know if they get to the outside of the door i don't know if they're still in the room that they were in with the impeller um they also then showed some clips of the faces of some of the other people in the control room i don't know if that if they are doing something if they're hearing her what like so i'm i'm really mystified in terms of like i know victoria is in danger because she screamed but i don't know anything else that's going on i think it was echoing through the pipes a little bit just around through the whole that's why they could hear her that i mean we we didn't really get a good layout of the room the oxygen room that she was trapped in but i think that's what was happening is that that her her screams Mm -hmm reverberating over the through the through the pipes and indeed over the end credits which is a very uh, interesting um credit scream as well so i think that's what was happening okay that that makes sense uh speaking of victoria i quite liked the little bit where they're locked in the bunk room Mm -hmm. and jamie's trying to crawl through the grate on the wall and victoria is just like "No, no no just let me um pick the lock with with my you know she's like she's like proto joe (laughs) that was that was really awesome um, so I, I quite appreciate that. that. To me, it felt sort of like a throwback to early Victoria, which maybe makes sense since Victor Pemberton yeah. was the script editor on her very first full um, full adventure after joining uh, joining the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point, actually. Yeah, she's once she's capable once again. Although Jamie and the Doctor says, "Okay, we're going to the but Victoria, you go back to the bunker room." For no real reason, you know? Yeah, that was that was annoying that they just turned around and, and sent her back, whereas she's the one that got them out of there. And, well, I mean, Jamie technically Jamie did too because he managed yeah. to get through the grate. But, uh, but she's capable enough to... She's an asset. So I don't know why they would send her away. What if they needed to unlock another door to yeah. get into somewhere? Although, to be fair, she was not able to pick the lock from the oxygen yeah. room. Um, not all locks are created equal. But that was, that was slightly annoying. My headcanon is that the... Uh, the fact that she has been so meek in the past several stories is why the, the doctor is sending her back because he <laughs> is he's worried for her. He doesn't want her to be overly scared because she's been a lot. She's been scared a lot. Right. So he, he wants her to be safe and less scared. Yeah. I still don't like it. <laughs> no. You can kind of tell that that the song screwdriver idea was made up on location and not part of the script because, you know, oh, if yes. if you could have opened uh, a little um, control box on the beach then surely he could have opened a door <laughs> with it but not necessarily it would depend on the locking mechanism because at this point it's right. well just I mean the I know that the um, animated part that we actually saw movement on was definitely you said it was re- like not not from the episode they just the the people who made the reconstruction yeah. for the control, control box made a little animated thing but you can see it in the the telesnap mm-hmm. that you know the control box is open and there's this big round screw thing sticking up out of it so it may be a sonic screwdriver but it's literally just a screwdriver at this point it can it can turn a screw you know counterclockwise yeah. or probably also clockwise um uh, clockwise to, to open it up so if the door that victoria is trapped behind doesn't have a screw <laughs> in its locking mechanism there's no reason that this iteration of yeah. the sonic screwdriver should be able to get her out so I'm still okay with that. That's true. This is this is the fun part of watching Doctor Who from the very beginning is you get to see the birth of ideas and how they evolve, you know, uh, like where the sonic screwdri- screwdriver turns up next. I don't remember. I remember it turns up in the War Games, but I actually don't quite remember off the top of my head right now 
if if it appears any time in between now and don't add us we're gonna watch it and find out um and then of course you know once the 70s start then it sort of starts taking over a little more but the, it, it's fun watching the early days of of stuff in doctor who Yep, it's fun. The actor who plays Harris, do we know him from somewhere else? Because his voice sounds very familiar to me. Not off the top of my head. I do recognize two other actors who will appear in Doctor Who but make their first appearances here. Do, do tell. I don't mind uh, casting spoilers. Well, uh, the guy who plays Van Lutyens is one John Abenary. I saw his name in the credits and I was like, John Abenary, that name sounds familiar. I've heard Steven say that before. What else does he do? Do. Well, he's Toby Haydock's favorite actor, um, oh, okay. uh, and he's been in Doc. He will be in Doctor Who four more times. Wow. Okay. Uh, no, four more times, or is this the fourth one of four? I can't remember. Ambassadors of Death, um, Death of the Daleks, and also Power of Kroll. So I think maybe it's just the four. He also plays Hearn the Hunter in Robin of Sherwood. Ooh. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Hubert Rees is in this as well, who plays. Um, Speaking of the war games, he is uh, he's the sort of officious uh, desk officer who gets, um, <laughs> as we talk about the war games, which we haven't officially watched yet as part of this podcast, but <laughs> he's in there. You'll recognize him. And then um, uh, he also is in uh, Seeds of Doom later on. And that's all, that's all I can think of right now of, of who's in this. But um, And Dudley Simpson's back doing music too, um, which is very distinctive and very uh, radiophonic in parts. I, I did not notice the music, which is par for the course yeah. did you, for me. Did you recognize the uh, in the background the computer sound effects in the main control room were the uh, the Wotan computer sound effects? I didn't, but I was very much enjoying just like that whole that whole set that whole room. I really really liked it. The and I, I'm, I'm certain that the sound effects were a part of mm-hmm. why I liked it so much. But it just it seemed very futuristic and technological and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. Well, uh, I hear the screeching tires of a truck in the background, so I think that perhaps uh, we've well, we've we've watched one episode. This is fun. I'm glad that we finally uh, got to free from the deep and our last um, story of uh, reconstructed Doctor Who for the most part, official mm-hmm. bootleg reconstruction. <laughs> we have one precious episode of the Space Pirates that exists, and then the left the rest is left to our imagination uh, when we get to it. But um, I, I'm glad you've uh, enjoyed the start of the story. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, it might, it may, I, I don't feel like I've heard a lot about Fury from the Deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so yeah, maybe the excitement factor will drop off dramatically from here. Or maybe I'll just continue to really love it. I'm excited to find out. You love beginnings. I do love beginnings, yeah. First episodes of things tend to be my very favorite. So I'm not I'm not expecting the second episode to, to you know, live up to the first one in quite the same way. But I am excited to find out what happens. Well... We'll find out on the next episode of Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network. (laughs) Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) 